This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound. And you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the New Books Network. I am Deidre Tyler, host of the channel. Today, we'll be talking with Michael Clinton, the author of Roar Into the Second Half of Your Life Before It's Too Late. How are you doing today, Michael? I'm just doing great, thanks, and I'm so, so honored and happy to be with you. Thanks for the invitation. Great. Thank you so much for being with us today. I wonder if you could begin the interview by saying a few words about yourself and how you became interested in the project. Yes, thank you. Um, you know, my my career in New York City was as a longtime magazine publishing executive. I was um, the publisher of GQ. I ran corporate teams. I was had the great pleasure and honor of launching Oprah Winfrey's magazine with our team, Food Network, HGTV. I was most recently the president and publishing director of Hearst Magazines. We have about 25 different brands. I just mentioned some of them. But as I was um, thinking about stepping out, because I think people should always think about when they're ready to step out and do the next thing. What I um, learned that so much that was being written was about winding down. And I was really interested in hearing more about how you could wind up. Because, you know, if you're, if you're 60 and healthy today, you have a really good shot of living to be 90. So you can have a second or third career. You can have a new lifestyle, a new relationship. And, you know, our, our parents' definition of, quote, retirement is uh, no longer relevant because we're going to live a lot longer, uh, particularly if we're healthy and we take care of ourselves. So it was all about the winding up philosophy that I was interested in. Tell the audience one of the most favorite stories about reimagining. Ah, there were, I interviewed 40 amazing people from all walks of life and all parts of the country. Um, I call them the reimagineers. They are people who in midlife sort of stepped back and said, I need a change in some part of my life. One of the great stories was a woman, Stephanie, who was 53 she was a book editor for her whole career, and she decided that she was going to become a doctor, a medical doctor. 
Now, I don't have to tell you how um, that is a you know complicated journey for anyone, let alone someone in midlife. But she um, went on that journey and she is now in her 60s and she is a medical doctor and she had some really interesting twists and turns <laughs> along the way. And um, a great inspirational story that um, I think people will enjoy reading about. So that's one of, my, one of my faves of the 40. We also did a survey, a national survey, um, for, um, and asked a lot of questions about you know, midlife change. And we had a broad um, group of respondents from all socioeconomic backgrounds and you know, race and gender and ethnicity. So it was a good representative sample from the US population. So that's also in the book. Uh, in addition to the stories. You talked about making a move before you're forced to. What are some of the circumstances that you're finding that people were forced to make that move? Well, you know, we have, um, we have a lot of ageism in our culture. You know, and ageism affects everyone regardless of their, their background. I mean, we're all, um, it's a universal experience. And, you know, we have a lot of very, um, old-fashioned ideas in government policies and corporate policies. You know, only there's a PwC study, and only eight percent of corporations include age as part of their DEI policy, which is kind of shocking when you think about it, because um, <clears throat> the ageism that is in our world. So people get forced out of jobs because they are older or because maybe they're too expensive. And that's the, that has to be flipped on its head because people who are seasoned and experienced and knowledgeable can bring great value. So, you know, we get displaced um, in ways that come unexpectedly. And so there needs to be a lot of um, reckoning happening on the policy front. Uh, in the in these areas, and the book book takes this on in a variety of ways, and how individuals can combat that with different tools and resources. So yeah, I mean things, and, and by the way, things happen in our in our personal lives, in our lifestyles. I mean, you know, natural disasters happen, and so you know things can happen to us. And if we thought through, what is our what is our plan? Now you talked about pivoting. That was a great term to use. Mm. Is there a deadline for successful pivoting? You know, it's, it's a great question. I think one has to think about pivoting their entire life at different stages, because think about this. If you were a parent and you raised your kids and you're now an empty nester, you know, you, that's one moment where you're going to pivot. You've already done a few pivots before then. But then, you know, if you go into a, another career or you move to another city or state, or you take on a new relationship, that's another pivot. So I think it almost has to be a lifetime philosophy. We talk in the book about a concept called life layering, which can help that process. Um, we also talk about building a parallel life. You know, one of the things that was interesting on all these people that I interviewed, they spent a good year or more thinking about their pivot. And they really went deep into themselves to understand who they were, what they wanted, what their strengths are, what their weaknesses are. But I think pivoting is a lifelong process. It's not a one-off or a, sec a two-off. It's really a, it's a, it's a philosophy that can be very beneficial to growth and, and development. You know, you talked about the past being the past. Mm -hmm. Why should people accept 
their baggage and move on. Yeah, you know, it's a big, um, it's certainly a big topic because we all carry with us all of our woulda, coulda, shouldas and our, you know, we've all made good decisions and we've all made bad decisions and we've made a left turn or a right turn at times. And, you know, it is that great old adage that the only thing we know is the now and the potential future. So I think find, giving ourselves permission to release ourselves from past mistakes and, you know, learn from those. I mean, I, in the book, I suggest that there should be a course on failure um, in all universities because failures are a part of a part of life in, you know, work and relationships and all the above. And so, you know, we have to learn how to find our release from that. I, I always say to people, go to your energy source. My energy source is long distance running. And when I'm out running, I try to, you know, focus on the what's next as opposed to the what, what has happened in the past. So the energy source is a good place for the way to to find some relief from any past that you're trying to overcome. In chapter four, you talked about numbers. What mm. are the numbers that people should know? Mm, that's my favorite, one of my favorite chapters, Deirdre. And it's, um, you know, we, it's amazing when you talk to a 50 year old and you say, what is your, what is your cholesterol level? Or what is your heart rate? Or what are your fundamental health numbers? And they don't know what they are. And, you know, that those health numbers consistently in good shape are what's going to give you a long life of longevity and healthful living. But numbers, knowing your numbers um, include knowing your financial numbers and, you know, will you have enough money? And if not, what are you going to do about it? And, you know, looking out over the future in terms of the sources of income you have or will have, you know, owning your, your goal numbers, owning your age, you know, people say 60 is the new 40. I want to say 60 is the new 60. You know, let's be who we will be at 60 and be proud of it. And also owning your final number, because we all are going to leave um, this earth someday. And what is it that we want to have accomplished? I, I like to say to people in their midlife, go to 90 and now work backwards from there. What have you accomplished? What has been your contribution? What has been your legacy? What what do you want for the next, you know, 40 years in your life? Because at 50, you're now, you know, at midpoint-ish. Uh, and um, so what do you want to accomplish now? You have a whole new chapter that our parents and grandparents didn't have. You know, in 1940, the average life expectancy was in the early 60s. And um, now it's, you know, in the high 70s. And aside from the dip that we took there during the pandemic, there are projections that, you know, that life expectancy is going to continue to expand and grow. So we have this great gift of more life for us individually. What are we going to do with it? You know, what you, you, you can't, um, you know, just sort of retire and say, OK, I'm going to spend the next 20, 25 years doing nothing. So how do you take that time and really give it purpose and value for yourself and those around you? You know, you, you talked about traveling in your book and you started at age 10. Tell mm -hmm. us the story of your first trip and how you think that led you into where you are today. You know, first of all, I came from a very poor working class family um, in Pennsylvania. There was... Our family had no real historical 
no, no education. We were working class. Father was a laborer. Mother was a housewife. They had six children. You know, we were in an in inner city public school system. And so, you know, there wasn't a lot of um, ideas about traveling, but I had a, I heard a story from a, an uncle who went to Ireland to visit um, uh, an uncle who lived in New York. And my father was from New York originally. And we went to um, take a trip to visit him in New York. And I got totally inspired about the traveling piece. And then when I was 13 years old, believe it or not, I asked my parents if I could take a trip to Ireland to go see our family that was over there. And they said, well, if you save your money, you can do it. So I shoveled snow and delivered papers and presented them with my, my few hundred dollars. And they were like, well, we're going to ship this kid off. So I did go to Ireland and I got inspired on that trip that has now been a lifelong passion. I mean, I'm in my 60s. I've been to 124 countries. My last trip before the pandemic was to Ethiopia, which is a remarkable country and people in history. And so I learned really early on that travel was a way for me to understand people in the world and have great experiences. So I, I call that one of my life layers that I cultivate, you know, throughout throughout my life and hopefully a lot more to come. Now, you're a goal setter. Tell us about your goal with flying that airplane. I just really like that story. Yes, it's true. I'm a, I'm a total goal setter. Um, you know, I think there, here's my tool that I use for my goal setting. You know, what is it? We all know what our dreams are in our lives, are in, in every aspect of our life. And I started very young with what I call uh, an annual life journal. I always believe in writing things down. I, I believe in the in the word. Um, you know, I was obviously in the magazine business for 40 years, so um, I believe in words and images and ideas. And my life journal every January, I write down all my goals for the year in every category, family, relationships, fitness, work, et cetera, giving back. And I do a check-in once a month, the first week of the month to see how I'm progressing on my goals. So that tool has been incredibly um, successful because if I'm missing out, if, I'm, if I say, for example, I want to learn Spanish and it's July and I haven't done anything about it, then the only person I have to blame is me. And so it sort of keeps me, uh, keeps my own feet to the fire and it makes me evaluate, is this really a goal that I really want or is it something that's just sort of a, some, you know, a nice, to, nice to write down? And I've used that for years and years. And one of those um, that you mentioned was the idea of becoming a pilot, private pilot. And so um, I started that process when I was around 40 and, you know, did all the work. It's a lot of work, by the way, um, learning how to fly and keeping up with it. But it was one of my my childhood goals. And one of the things I like to say to people is go back to your younger self. What are the things that you really wanted to do when you were you know, a teenager or a young adult that you put on the put on the shelf. I mean, one of mine was I wanted to be a pilot. And that was something I wanted to be when I was 15 and 16. And I never really, really developed it. So what are those younger self things that you had passion and interest for and build that back into your adult goals? Now, I really like the concept of interweave because there's so many books out there that tell people just leave your job and Focus on your passion, but you suggested that people should interweave. Can you explain that a little bit more to our audience? Sure. 
you know, I think the thing that I, I'll go back to this notion also of building a parallel life uh, within your your job. And by the way, uh, in addition to your job, excuse me. And by the way, that can be in any area of your life. So I'll give you an example. You know, I believe in lifelong learning, and there are a lot of sources where people can get money to go back to school or get certificates. One of the great uh, sources is a website called Scholarship Owl, but there are Pell Grants and federal grants and some states um, allow for people 60 and over to go to college for free. And so you have to do, you have to do the homework. But one of the things that I like to say is if you're stuck in a, in a job that is dead end or it's your industry is being disrupted or you don't have the skill set and you're afraid that you're going to be displaced, run a parallel uh, life where you're starting to learn something new. It might be in the context of your existing job and profession. In my world, you know, the magazine industry was a print centric world. And then, of course, it was disrupted by digital. So the people who have been successful in growing and expanding in my industry is they went and got digital certificates and learned about the digital digital world and built that skill set. That's what I call a pivot in, pivot into your profession. But you can also pivot out. You know, if if this is if there's something that you're really thinking about that you want to do that is unrelated to your business or your industry, take that learning tool and take that certificate and run that a year or two before you make that, make that change. And so, you know, oftentimes people will say, well, I'll figure things out when I get there. And I'm, I'm not so sure that works anymore because of how fast paced the world is. So yeah, you know, interweave and build that parallel interest while you're st st still thinking about the, wh where you wanna go next. You know, we're in this global pandemic how has this impacted people in their midlife, mid-careers? What do you see and how can people roar during this time? I think that, you know, what, what I learned in all these interviews and in our study is that, you know, obviously we all went through an existential moment and we still are in that moment where we didn't know, you know, how this was going to affect us individually, our families, our loved ones. I think there's been a lot of thinking over the last 18 months about what do I really want for myself in my life? And I think people, you've heard about the big quit and the great resignation and people really saying, you know, I, I don't want to do this job anymore. I don't want to do this commute anymore. Um, I don't want to live in this city anymore. Do I really want to be with the person I've just spent 18 months with behind, you know, in at home? So I think there's been a huge amount of thinking. And I, I will predict that, you know, in 2022 into 23, it will be the big bang. A lot of people will be making the taking the actual actions on the things that they've developed. And I think there's going to be a lot of roaring into a lot of new places in people's lives because they've had the time to think about it and know what they don't want. And hopefully they spend a lot of time thinking about what they do want. So I think we're on the precipice of a lot of, uh, a lot of this, which is uh, happening organically anyway, but it's been exacerbated by the pandemic. Now, you said nothing ventured, nothing gained. How does this relate to life in terms of focusing on your interests? 
you know, the, I'll, I'll, I'll answer that question by focusing on what I call the creative gene, because everyone has the creative gene in them. And it could be photography, painting, sculpture, singing, dancing, music. We all have some creative gene that we, we know we have. And, you know, it's to be, to be satisfied human beings, cultivating that gene is really important. And sometimes people block themselves and say, well, you know, I'm not, I'm not good at that, or I may fail at that. But if you don't try, then, you know, you, you don't know. So one of the great stories in the book is a woman who was an elementary school teacher in Georgia. And she said that all her friends and family would say how funny she was. And that this was sort of her, she had this creative capability to really create jokes and make people laugh and all the above. And her friend said, let's go to an open mic session in Atlanta and you should go on stage and you know, deliver some of your great lines. And she, she said, I didn't even know what an open mic thing was. She was in her late fifties and she went to Atlanta, this is pre-pandemic, and she got up on stage and she said she like became another person. And she ended up being having a great audience reaction. And to make a long story short, Patricia is now a stand-up comic in her early 60s. And she travels, she traveled all through the southeast and parts of the country to do stand-up comedy. She, you know, now does it on Zoom and she'll hopefully do, be doing some live gigs. But she said, I I, you know, it took me. A lot of times I would say I wasn't funny enough. I'm not, I'm too old. I'm not pretty enough. I'm all these things. But then she realized that some people are going to like it and some people aren't, and that's okay. But she was expressing her creative gene and you have to, you know, go into that lane and do it for yourself first. And some people will like it and some people won't, and that's okay. Do you find that people develop more negative self-talk as we age? And what's, mm -hmm. way, what's one way to avoid this? So one of the um, interviews that I did was with a, um, a psychologist, Dr. Cantonis is her name, and you'll, people can read a, a, you know, about her comments uh, in, in the book. Um, and her, she said, yes, a lot of people in mid, midlife um, have accumulated this negative self-talk because you know, they didn't get this promotion or they didn't, their relationship they're unhappy with, or, you know, I, I should have done this or I didn't do that. And she um, talks about that as a phenomena for people in midlife, which really gets in the way. So she has a, a variety of tools and suggestions and ways to manage that. Um, one of those things that she talks about, which is one of the chapters in the book, um, as you know, ROAR is an acronym for reimagine, reinvent, own, own your, where you come from and your numbers. A is your action plan and R is the reassessment of your relationships on all fronts. And one of the things she talks about is, you know, doing a real critical look at the people around you that are in your inner circle, both family and friends. Are those people contributing to this negative self-talk? Are they the ones that are, you know, creating that sense in you and then how do you take them out of your life and that could be painful and 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 difficult but you have to surround yourself with the people who love you believe in you support you 
And we all know about those college friends and now you're 45, 50, and they're not necessarily bringing you much personal value anymore. Are they really going to have a place in your life in, in the future? So I think this notion of reassessing the people around you, first your inner circle, then your broader circles, and then your community, it broadly speaking, and really focus on keeping the positive people around you as opposed to the toxic people. Well, we've taken up a lot of your time. I have enjoyed our conversation. Can you tell us what, what are you working on next? Well, you know, I think that um, interestingly, Roar has become my Roar because um, the book, which is, you know, now a bestseller and has is available on every platform, print, ebook, audible, and, on, you know, wherever people want to um, buy books. So I want to continue being a voice in the space. Um, people can go to roarbymichaelclinton.com to sign up for what will be a newsletter, a monthly newsletter next year. We're going to develop some courses. Um, but I'm going to really build this out because I think the feedback I've gotten from people is they want to learn more and they want to hear from you know more inspirational stories so um i'm going to be doing that you know i'm continuing to run marathons and travel and chase my passions photography and family and all of that so um but i think you know in in an ironic way roar has become my roar thank you so much